What if your practice could take on 50% more clients without increasing headcount? What if you could save 5.5 hours per client every month? The future of accounting and bookkeeping has arrived, and its name is Dext. Dext combines real-time accurate data with tools to make your teams more efficient, allowing them to spend more time on billable services and less time on the basics. Stay tuned to learn more from our sponsor, Dext, later in the episode. So let me emphasize this. We spend $100 billion. That's a lot of money because the IRS budget is $12 billion right now. So we're talking about 10xing you know, over the current budget what the IRS has. But that would collect $1.4 trillion in lawful tax revenue. So pretty good ROI on that, right? Over $10 for every $1 you invest. If you had a business, like I've said this before, you would be making this decision. You're, you're, you're a new startup. You have a board of directors. You took a bunch of VC money. This is where you'd put all that money into. Today is April 10th, 2021. This is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. How you doing, David? Good, good, good. We're uh, chugging along. The uh, The house is now sealed up on the outside, the, the, the new addition. Yeah, your, your new podcasting studio. Yes, which will be... You know, Hopefully uh, soon. I'm, I'm, it's crossed the point now where I'm just waiting for this to be done. That's great. I had a really interesting conversation yesterday on Friday with Ed Carl, the Vice President of Taxation at the AICPA. I don't know. Well, you know, because we've been talking about this the last few episodes, IRS service levels funding, the dumpster fire that is tax season 2020. You've been wondering why... what the AICPA's stance is, are they pushing the federal government to fund the IRS better, right? Like you've been wondering this. Yeah. And and I see this struggle that our tax friends on Twitter are having, hashtag tax Twitter, which is a great community that has cropped up over the last few years. And it's, it's been interesting getting to see the broader discussion. And a lot of it is around how just horrible it is to work with the IRS these days and how much trouble it's causing our tax pros because IRS correspondence is way behind, like months and months and months behind. They haven't processed 2019 returns. There's just this humongous paper backlog still, even though they said they opened the mail, they haven't actually processed a lot of it. And it's it's just sort of uh, I, snowballing, I guess is so, the term, right? So um, as citizens, we don't, in general, I could say if you surveyed most citizens of this country, eh, they don't really like working with the IRS. So what happens if they push tax preparers to that same opinion? <laughs> like if tax preparers are like, I don't want to work with the IRS either anymore. Yeah. I mean, you can't, even as a preparer, you can't get somebody on the phone. Um, you know, the IRS doesn't even answer the majority of calls that they get. So it's it's gotten really, really bad. And obviously the pandemic had a lot to do with it. We'll talk about this more later in the episode. Um but it, it really started before that. And so I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about this and I'm saying, okay, well, I looked at uh, funding levels for the IRS and those have declined since 2010. I wanted to know what is the AICPA doing about it as the largest member organization of accountants in the world, I think. And so I spoke with Ed Carl, who's in charge of taxation there. It was a really interesting conversation. So I want, I want to share that more with you and our listeners later in the show. And then the that interview- so You're will... going to play some of that here or you're going to do it as a bonus episode after 
attached to this episode. So I'll kind of summarize my takeaways and then okay. this will be a bonus episode. So after this one. So if you want to hear that conversation about what the AICPA thinks about all this, listen to the bonus episode with Ed Carl. So you have to summarize it in a way to tease so people will listen so they don't you don't actually summarize. Just <laughs> <laughs> just to give it that nice tease. That's sure. that's right. So uh, I have some articles about remote work, uh, conference news. Yeah, we've got some conferences coming up. That's exciting. The SBA had another snafu with their technology systems, the shuttered venues operators grant uh, system did not exactly work as planned. And there's a tie-in to tax and the infrastructure package that the Biden administration is promoting. And that all ties into IRS service levels, believe it or not, or IRS audit levels and whatnot, uh, and, and what we affectionately call the tax gap. Oh, and then finally, the uh, Chinese government has created its own digital currency. It's out in the wild. That sounds like a horrible idea. <laughs> Cryptocurrency and the Communist Party. You know, who would have thought that this is where we would be in, you know, in 2021? So where do you want to start? Uh, why don't we knock out like the stimulus, IRS, you know, um, All <laughs> economic stuff, like like the, the, the non, non-specific cloud accounting news that ties into it, so... This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Rewind. QuickBooks Online backs up their platform, but not your client's files, leaving you exposed to failed imports, bad app integrations, or manual data entry errors that can corrupt your client's files. That takes hours of work to manually restore it all, pretty much erasing those great profit margins you have because you're using the cloud. Rewind automatically backs up your QuickBooks Online files, and in a couple of clicks can restore your client's file to the way it was prior to any mishaps. As the leading cloud backup app trusted by over 80,000 organizations around the globe, Rewind has saved thousands of accounting professionals from mind-numbing manual data entry rework. To learn even more about Rewind and their new partner referral program that offers cash incentives to accountants and bookkeepers that refer new business, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash rewind. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R-E-W-I-N-D. I guess the easiest thing to start with is this shuttered venues operators grant. The Small Business Administration opened up the portal with great fanfare on Thursday. And that's for like music venues that have been closed for a full year. Like this is special grants for these entertainment facilities that pretty much have not been able to even partially open. These are the businesses that have suffered perhaps the most in the pandemic. Uh, like you said, live music venues, theaters, performing arts organizations, museums, zoos, aquariums, businesses that depend on large groups of people being able to be there. And the program is excellent in how it treats them. It's $16 billion. And these applicants can qualify for grants equal to 45% of their gross earned revenue with the maximum amount available for a single grant award of $10 million. So up to 45% of their revenue up to $10 million for each venue. The portal opened up on April 8th and then immediately shut down because of glitches. And the SBA has now said that it's going to be closed throughout the weekend while they work to resolve technical issues. You should follow their Twitter handle if you want to get the latest updates. That is SBA Gov. 
on Twitter, at SBA Gov. And the current pinned tweet is talking about how it's going to be closed over the weekend. So don't sit up all weekend trying to get onto that site. I would check first thing Monday. And you do want to stay on top of this because the money is first come, first serve. So, you know, it's kind of a shame that like the SBA just still can't get their act together when it comes to technology. Although I do have sympathy for them because this is not an organization that was built to handle this type of volume and this type of complexity and all these different programs. So, you know, I have sympathy, although at the same time, I'm also like, what the hell, guys? It's been like a year since you started doing this sort of thing. So that's stimulus. Um, What else? There was an article in the Wall Street Journal entitled, Why Can't Stimulus Checks Arrive Faster? I thought this was interesting because it's a, it's a good summary of what's going on with our electronics payment systems in the United States. So the big one is the ACH system. That system has been around for a long time, and they have been working to make it same day. Um, it is not instant, but we're working towards same day. And now a lot of vendors who use the ACH system can do same day payments. And um, there's also a real-time payment system from Clearinghouse, which is a network owned by the largest bank. So if you use something like Zelle, then that is going through, I believe that's going through real-time payment system. But that only covers about half of checking accounts in the country. The Federal Reserve is also working on its own real-time counterpart to the ACH system called FedNow, and that is coming in 2023. And that will hopefully reach everybody because even smaller banks and credit unions deal with the Fed in that they can borrow money from the Fed. So this is important. And the reason this is important is because, get this, last year, recipients of stimulus payments spent $66 million in check cashing fees just to get the money the government sent them. And if we actually had electronic payment systems, then this wouldn't be necessary. We still rely a lot on paper checks. 14.5 billion checks, according to the Federal Reserve, were processed in 2018, although that is down 3.6 billion from 2015. So we're still heavily reliant on paper here in this country, but we are moving towards instant payments. The thing is, we've got like three different systems now for electronic payments. So which one is going to win out is the question, I guess. So that's my stimulus news. What, what do you got, David? So I think I saw an article similar or kind of related to this or can tie back to the numbers, which is because what's the stimulus now? It's a uh, we're going to do math on the show. Hold on. Uh, a lot. Is it 1200, 14, 2600? What do you for, mean? For an individual, is it 1200? Oh, the, the actual check. The amount, check. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Actually, I, I forgot. All right. So there's an article in accounting today about how there's 1.3 billion waiting to be distributed to taxpayers from 2017 that never filed their, t- their return, right? And so I imagine the numbers in 2018 are probably similar in 2019, right? People just don't, this is probably a similar number every year. But the reason this is coming up, because if they don't file their, if they don't file an extension and make claims by May 17th of this year, they'd lose the, the ability to get that money from 2017. But it's 1.35 million taxpayers times about a thousand bucks puts you right back at the 1.3 billion. So, you know, it, it's in and out. These people are not, they're losing out twice, almost double, right? Because they're not getting, I mean, I'm assuming it's a different 1.35 million, but there's probably a million and a half people every year that don't file taxes, right? And they're not going to get their stimulus, but it's kind of washing itself out. Like over here, the government has the 1.3 billion that they should be refunding to people, but over here, they're going to distribute the 1.3 billion, right? And if they don't show up, it just washes out. Like it never happened. So I guess there's a tie in here to that Chinese digital currency story because we're just here in the United States working on getting ACH payments faster, electronic payments faster. But but what the Chinese have done is truly revolutionary. 
in that they have made their currency digital. So this is not just representative. It's not like a uh, Starbucks gift card where there's real money sitting in a bank account somewhere that this symbolizes, right? That you are, this is the actual currency is digital now. And the way they're doing it is every time they create digital currency, they're taking paper currency out of circulation so that they don't add more money into the into the mix. And imagine if for a moment, the Federal Reserve had a digital currency built on a blockchain like the Chinese have done. If they wanted to send out a stimulus payment, they could just do that. They could just add a, a money into the wallet of every American instantly. And there wouldn't be this delay, this need to print checks, this need to process ACH payments, to link up people's bank accounts, to go through this archaic banking system. So that is one of the advantages that China has created for itself by leading the way with a digital currency. There's some other advantages too, uh, maybe a little creepier. So now the central government can track every single transaction in real time down to the individual. That provides some scary um, I guess, abilities for the state to track you and monitor you. Although I suppose if you're already in China, you're kind of used to that. Uh, but what it does from, I think, a positive point of view is it, it will allow the central bank to really see the workings of the economy in real time in a way that we just don't have. Um, and, and the big thing for them is it's going to increase the competitiveness of the yuan internationally. Because right now, 88% of international foreign exchange trades are done in US dollars. Only 4% are done in yuan. So the hope, I think, is uh, on the Chinese side is that this will make it more competitive. Because if you can transact for a much lower cost in yuan, maybe you'll do that. Yeah, I'm interested to see where this goes. Because like a lot of the reason a lot of people love using Bitcoin and crypto payments is because it used to be anonymous. So now, now the pendulum's swung the other way. It's not anonymous. So are people just going to... Like in China, who want to kind of be under the table, are they just going to adopt true USD, like true cash, plain old USD cash, just like which is kind of the currency of the world, right? And will we see an, uh, an I mean, uprising of the use of paper cash to, to circumvent the system? Well, I mean, that's what's already happening, right? That's that's if you're if you really want to be anonymous, that's what you do. It gets it's getting harder and harder, though. I mean, imagine if if digital currency gets more and more popular, there's like no reason we shouldn't take hundred dollar bills out of circulation. Because then it would be really hard to move large amounts of money in suitcases. Yeah, my <laughs> understanding, and I'll try to find this article somewhere, but my understanding, there's more 100 US $100 bills outside, physically outside of the United States than there are in, there are in the United States. I'm yeah, probably buried in the ground somewhere. Yeah. Um, there's one more benefit here to the Chinese, which is uh, avoiding US sanctions. So one of the ways that we exert power around the world with our currency is by putting sanctions on individuals or countries or organizations. And we say to banks all around the world, you cannot uh, transact with these individuals in US dollars. And because the banking industry is so dependent on linking to the United States, they do it, right? We control the international banking system this way. Maybe I'm not explaining it the best, but that's the idea. With a digital yuan, it skips the entire traditional banking system. So we can't put sanctions on it. If I want to send you the money, I can do that directly over the internet. There's no bank involved. It's on a blockchain. So all the benefits of cryptocurrency for skipping the traditional banking system, China gets. So that's going to be really interesting uh, when it comes to the power dynamic and, and 
sanctions because that is you know, so, so so what you're saying so let's say you're an e-commerce person or something you're in this space and you're you're well i guess it would be the opposite way let's say let's say you had you made something in america here that you know like it's a huge e-commerce hit in china so you're willing to be paid in this chinese crypto because that way you can avoid the banking system and now what are you going to do with it like somewhere you got to turn that to get us cash right well, or I can just hold it and spend it somewhere else around the world or, or send it to somebody else in the United States who's willing to accept it. It's, it's not on the traditional banking system rails. So there's no, there's no reporting that is happening other than to the central bank in China. So it's really a game changer in that regard. I mean, I mean, actually, when you think about like the whole crypto question on the, the tax returns, right? Of all the cryptocurrencies you could put your money in, this will be the one the IRS will never have access to. <laughs> That's right. That's right. The U.S. government yeah. and the IRS will raid all these other the the uh, these other blockchain technologies. Right? They're going to get in there. They're going to get data from those. They're going to be able to audit you. Like it's going to happen eventually. They're going to yeah. get access to this legally through the courts. It would. This will be the only true safe one. If you really want to completely avoid taxes, convert all your money to this, and nobody has any reach to it, or at least some of it. So. We'll see where this goes. I think it's a, from a citizen's perspective, it's probably a really, really bad idea. You want to talk a little bit about some of the uh, economic news? Yeah, let's hear it. So Facebook did a survey. It's called their Global State of Small Business. Um, and they surveyed 35,000 small businesses in 25 countries. And 25% of the businesses have said they were just closed now. 25% of businesses closed. 25%. Versus 16% in last October. And it's pretty close to the 29%, which was last May. And this is all around the world. All around the world, 25,000 or 35,000. So it's a significant population. Right. Yeah. It's a good survey. Yeah. And then uh, the typical stuff we've kind of seen in other surveys, women owned and minority owned businesses are taking the biggest hit. And, and the ones that survived are called Main Street survivors. They're people that have managed to sell digital, sell digitally via the digital platforms. So either you're doing deliveries people can buy your food through the web or you're selling uh you're you're able to ship goods but if you have a physical business where people have to come in it's kind of a little bit difficult for people to do that well here's something a little more positive i was reading cfo.com and i saw a story pickup in cfo optimism continues in q1 this is the cfo survey which is a collaboration of duke university and the federal reserve banks of richmond and atlanta Basically, the, the gist is that CFOs, chief financial officers, are more optimistic now than at any point in the pandemic. And optimism is, is higher than any point in the last 10 years other than right before the pandemic. So it's, it's gone up dramatically. I mean, and that doesn't surprise me given that the vaccine is getting out in the United States. We're doing a pretty darn good job of this compared to the rest of the world. I don't know about you, David, but in my zip code, and this is this varies a lot by zip code and by county and state. In my zip code, over sixty-eight percent of adults have been vaccinated. And that's incredible. That that is theoretically the amount that we I think need I to- saw for Arizona something about sixty-five to sixty-eight is kind of the stat for Arizona. Um, the only disturbing stat I've seen is there's still a percentage of vaccines that aren't getting put in people's arms. 
every day. And some states are like in the 60, uh, they're, they're, they're basically throwing away 30% of their inventory. Really? Because they're not getting shot. Yeah. And that's actually a little bit more disturbing is the amount that the waste aren't happening. The waste, yeah. Well, the hard part is balancing the appointments with the amount of vaccine that you're thawing because you can only use it for like six hours. So you have to be super careful. And it's it's really hard because people will make appointments on different systems and not cancel them. So it, it's, a, it's a real challenge. Um, but that's some good news. Optimism. We're, we're optimistic here. So you know who else should be very, very optimistic? Who's is that? the accounting profession. I have an article in here from Bloomberg Tax um, about how law firms have avoided business ventures. And, and because of that, they've fell behind. So accounting is beating the legal profession. Yeah. And, and, and by 10x. So last year, accounting firms in the world earned 10x times more revenue than the largest law firms. Wow. And, and, it, and this goes back to, it's basically a 50-year journey that got them there. So in the 70s, you know, that's when accounting firms started thinking, why are we just doing audit? Can't we provide other services? Mm-hmm. And they really started to weigh this. There's confidentiality and there's, there's some, some rules accounts have to follow, but it's not as strict as the legal, right? And so accounts can look client by client and make a decision like, okay, yes, we're doing audit over here, but maybe if we have a separate division, they could do consulting, they could do this other work, mm-hmm. right? And, but it's very client to client decision when in the law, the legal um, realm, it's just like this blanket rule. Like if you're doing work for them, you can't do other work for them. Mm. And that's kind of it. It's very black and white. And, and a lot of that was set up to keep others from practicing law. So their own like rules have prevented them from growing their industry. So, so to keep competition out, they actually open the door to competition to stealing their lunch by providing all these other services. So this is interesting. This is very interesting because we see, go ahead. And and this, so like it was started in the seventies and it's just kept growing until now to where they can't get over it. And until legal industry changes and they're more open to this, there's just no end in sight. The accounting firms are just going to keep growing and stealing away all kinds of services that in theory, law firms could be doing. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Dext. Providing your clients with timely and accurate insights may be one of your most important jobs as the trusted advisor. For most, giving insights is easy, but giving both timely and accurate insights is much more challenging. This is where the one-two punch of Dext comes in. Dext Prepare will help you be timely. Dext Prepare will quickly capture all the receipts, bills, and statements to easily and automatically enter the data directly into the accounting system of your choice. Dext Precision will help you be accurate by finding anomalies and cleaning the data up in the accounting system. Dext Precision also tracks your client's data health and performance metrics and provides powerful custom reports, including pivot tables. To learn how your firm can save an average of 5.5 hours per client each month, schedule a one-on-one demo with the Dext team. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Dext. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash D-E-X-T. And during your demo, mention the promo code podcast and save even more during the month of April. Accountants and bookkeepers make better business with Dext. So let's talk about IRS funding. This has become my new pet issue. Um, And I can't remember exactly how much we have talked about on prior episodes. So I'll, I'll review a little bit if you don't mind. 
I know that we've highlighted stories that have cropped up in the press about how audits of millionaires have plunged by 72%. The IRS failed to collect $2.4 billion in taxes from millionaires. The richest 1% hide a fifth of their income from the IRS. And in particular, a New York Times story that was based on an IRS analysis that said that Americans report on their taxes less than half of all income that is not subject to some form of third-party verification like a W-2. So most of that is business income that doesn't get reported on a W-2 or 1099. Americans are only reporting about half. That is according to an IRS analysis in 2019. And the impact of that is like $1.4 trillion in taxes over the next decade. It's a lot of money. And I've been thinking about this in the context of what's going on politically right now, that we have the Biden administration talking about doing infrastructure for close to $2 trillion. And the way they want to pay for it is by increasing corporate taxes, taxes domestically, and then also going after corporations internationally that are that are shifting profits overseas and stopping that by creating a global minimum tax. I mean, that's the very, very simplistic thing that's going on right now is Democrats want infrastructure bill. The way they're going to pay for it is with increasing corporate taxes. So you could raise taxes to the moon, but if you don't have a an organization to actually successfully collect them, what's the point? And that is what hit me. I looked at the IRS budget and the IRS, you know, they have a, a page that explains this very easily with charts. You can go check it out to search IRS funding levels or IRS budget levels and and you will see this. The IRS budget has been declining for a decade. In 2010, it was over $14.5 billion. In 2019, it was down below $12 billion. So they've lost $2 billion in funding. They have lost staffing as well. So they went from around 85,000 full-time equivalents down to below 75,000 from 2014 to 2019. And I think it's pretty obvious to anyone who works at the IRS that service levels have plunged, audit levels have plunged, they just can't keep up. And of course, during all that time, we had massive tax changes and complexity has only increased. So here we have a situation where we've got an estimated $600 billion in tax just not getting paid by tax avoiders every year. And we have an IRS that has been seeing lower levels of funding for years and years, losing experienced staff, unable to go after the highest net worth, biggest corporations, because it's really hard to audit them. And so they're only auditing the poor. I mean, that's an overstatement, but really the emphasis is on easy audits, which tend to be lower income people. And it's just enabling massive tax avoidance. And this money could over 10 years pay for this infrastructure bill and corporate taxes don't actually have to go up. If we just collected the money that is legally due, we don't have to raise taxes. There's enough revenue built into the current tax code. Yeah. If it got collected and enforced. Yes. And that just seems insane to me that we aren't as accountants shouting this from the rooftop because wouldn't we want our clients to not have to pay higher taxes? I mean, our best clients are corporations and the shareholders of those corporations. We should be saying, hey, Biden administration, why don't we just fund the IRS and enable them to actually collect this this revenue. And 
there's a there's a number attached to this. A former IRS chief, Charles Rizzotti, so he ran the IRS in the late 90s, early 2000s. He got together with a Harvard economist, Lawrence Summers, very famous economist, and Pennsylvania law professor Natasha Sarin, and they did an analysis in November that said if we invested 100 billion in the IRS over the next decade for technology and personnel, in combination with better data on business income, that would allow the agency to collect up to 1.4 trillion in lawful tax revenue that would otherwise go uncollected. So let me emphasize this. We spend 100 billion. That's a lot of money because the IRS budget is 12 billion right now. So we're talking about 10xing, you know, over the current budget what the IRS has. But that would collect 1.4 trillion in lawful tax revenue. So pretty good ROI on that, right? Over $10 for every $1 you invest. If, if you had a business, I've said this before, you would be making this decision. You're, you're, you're a new startup, you have a board of directors, you took a bunch of VC money, this is where you'd put all that money into. It, it's just insane, right? Like it's a great ROI actually. Like this is a, hu- a fantastic return on investment. So I have been pondering this and I've also been seeing our friends on tax Twitter suffer because IRS service levels are horrible. Now let's emphasize that the pandemic made it really bad because the IRS is paper-based mostly. And so they couldn't serve us properly when they were remote. And that has created a ton of issues. But this is not just pandemic created. The pandemic just made it a zillion times worse. This was already getting bad. I mean, there's- Yeah, I'm looking at this graph that goes from 20, 2008 to 2018. Yeah. It's a stacked bar graph. And one of the, the very top bar is essentially business system modernization. And on my monitor, it's literally like a pixel high <laughs> on this graph. <laughs> like, like, like it's 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 nominal. They don't even spend money on business system business systems modernization. So it's a pixel high. So I wanted to know. I wanted to know what are member organizations, what the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants is saying about this. What is the position of the largest accounting organization or largest? Uh, member organization of accountants in the world saying about this situation. Is the IRS underfunded and should it be a lot more? And that was the question that I wanted to get on the phone with the ASCPA and ask. And they were generous enough to lend me Ed Carl, who's the vice president of taxation. I spoke to him yesterday and I asked him that question, basically laid out what we just discussed. And as far as I can tell, the AICPA has no position on what an, a, an appropriate level of service is, meaning how quickly should the IRS pick up the phone and how often? So, so, so in all the negotiations with the feds that the ACPA gets into in discussions, they've never been like, hey, and we want all CPAs in America, when they call you, CAs, CPAs and EAs, to have a service level of, they get 48-hour turnaround time if they reach out to you or there's no there's no service level agreement essentially. Yeah, and exists. and we I was thinking that we could de- would have defined one and we'd be arguing for one, but there isn't. And please go listen to the interview, but what Mr. Carl told me is that it's beyond the AICPA's expertise to determine what is appropriate that that is something that the IRS, the administration, Congress have to figure out. So uh, they are they do want service levels to improve, but beyond saying we want service levels to improve, there is nothing. There's well, no guidance. I would start with your members. You survey your members, find out your members what the minimum requirements are, and then present that to Congress. Congress can't write this. No senator or somebody in that. They're not, they don't know what the service level should be. 
you know, I mean, yes, don't get me wrong. There's what we have like those six or seven CPAs that are, you know, representatives. Or, yeah. Either in the Senate or the right. House yeah, right now. Lo- but that's it. There's like seven people that could champion this possibly. Right. Yeah. It's like everybody in Congress is a lawyer. Do we expect them to be able to understand what accountants need to get their jobs done? Probably not. So yeah, that would be good. I think that's a great idea. Then I also asked about this issue with funding and service levels. And isn't it obvious that like the funding is causing a problem with service levels, but also this whole tax gap that we have in the infrastructure bill. And basically the AICPA's position is that they do not make recommendations on serve on, on funding levels for the IRS. That also is something that Congress and the administration have to figure out. So basically the AICPA, all they're gonna talk about is like the the technical aspects of the the tax code and the administration of it. But getting bigger than that is is no. And I don't know, that just frustrates me. I like we could we are we are the accounting profession. We are CPAs. We we represent the accounting profession with the largest organization. Couldn't we be doing more to point out this this uh, opportunity? Well I, I if I had to guess, if I had to guess, the oil companies and all the energy companies are constantly trying to push on the amount of budget the Environmental Protection Agency gets. Oh, you mean push it down, right? Or, or what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they have opinions, right? Like we're basically saying we don't have opinions of the one government agency we work with the most. We don't have an opinion on how they're funded. Well, but I guarantee you every other industry totally cares about what the government agency that industry has to work. I, I'm, I guarantee you the airlines care about how much the FAA gets funded. Like this is crazy. It doesn't make any sense as a stance as an industry body. Why we don't have a stronger stance on the one government agency we work with the most, we don't care how it's funded. Well, I, I think that some people do. And so here's my theory, David. It's that for large firms and large corporations, they generally have an adversarial relationship with the IRS in that we're taking strong positions, we're taking maybe risky or pushing the envelope positions, whatever you want to call it. And so it's beneficial for you if you are representing a corporation or a high net worth individual to be up against somebody at the IRS who's not experienced, who who does not have resources to do a good audit. You want the IRS to be underfunded, selfishly. So and, and, and you can't run for politics on a on a platform. Like I'm gonna increase the IRS's budget. Right. Nobody likes the IRS, right? Like that's it's not a popular organization. You, you can't win. Yeah. But so so what has happened, I think, is that either passively or actively over the years, uh organizations representing accountants have just allowed this to happen because, okay, if if service levels decline, like uh, audits are declining, like, and that wasn't ever the intent. It's just like a side negative effect, right? Uh, um, That, that service levels would decline. But what happened is that we allowed it to happen so much. We allowed it to get so bad that we ended up with a situation where the IRS had not modernized and then the pandemic hit and blew everything up. So it's it's like a got too greedy kind of thing or a um, – Won't there hit a point now where in 2017, 1.3 million people didn't even file their taxes? If the IRS becomes so underfunded to the point where everybody's opinion is they can't – they'll never come after me. Who cares? And we just have this mass amount of people that stop filing taxes. You know who's going to really feel the brunt of that? Accountants and bookkeepers. I don't right. need an accountant. I'm not going to file taxes. <laughs> like It's actually in the accounting industry's best interest. To make sure the IRS exists. Yeah. Well, and, and nobody, the, nobody, why do you need an account or bookkeeper? And if you don't the, have to do taxes. And this policy or this 
This way of handling the issue, allowing the IRS to decline, it really hurts the small firms and the individual preparers the most because they are the ones who are not equipped to deal with an IRS that that is unable to serve them. If I'm in a big firm, I can just take one of my staff and say, you sit on the phone all day until you get somebody. I can't do that if I'm a sole proprietor CPA. <laughs> I can't sit on the phone all day trying to resolve an issue or, or try to sort out all these notices that don't make any sense because the timing is all off. And so it really hurts the small preparers. And I, I think this whole thing has backfired, basically. This whole trend over the last decade uh, has now blown up. And the corporations, the large corporations are going to be the ones that end up hurting because now the administration's coming after them for higher taxes. And it's just, it's not, it's not good in the end. It's bad. It's just, and, and you know what? It also creates ethical problems because when you have a regime where it's so easy to avoid taxes, you as a CPA trying to be honest, you know, you end up being the one who has to lay down the rules with the clients because the clients are saying, oh, I'm never going to get audited. Please just do this thing. And you're like, no, that's, we can't, that's wrong. They'll just go find another CPA who is willing to do it. So I, I think this is like an existential issue for us as ethical CPAs because you know it's it's like uh, it's like prohibition or something, right? When everybody's breaking the rules, you know how do you how do you stay ethical? Uh, and it's wrong. I did my part, Blake. I just tweeted hashtag fund the IRS for you. Fund the so IRS. Maybe, maybe people will start to it'll get some traction here. Maybe we could change our Twitter profile pictures to a special color. And I suspect our listeners are on the same page with us. Um, I did a little Twitter poll, and obviously these are not scientific, but most of my Twitter followers are accountants, and uh, many are in the tax Twitter world. And I asked, is the IRS underfunded? 77% said yes, very underfunded. 15% said yes, somewhat underfunded. Okay, only 4% thought the current funding is okay, and about 5% said the IRS is overfunded. 91% said that the IRS is underfunded. And it's really badly underfunded. I mean, we're talking probably a tenth of where it needs to be. So I don't know how we can make funding the IRS popular, but I, I don't know. It's something that it's something that I think we we could we could do to help. It has to be solved. I don't know what the easy answers are, but at this trend, though, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. So somewhere it's going to tip. There, there's going to be a point where we have a, a pandemic in this country of people not filing taxes, and then that's when politicians will be like, "Wait a second, what's going on?" Then they'll fund it. And maybe it could be another decade for that to happen. I don't know. Maybe some of these headlines, I mean, they keep coming, will we'll make it happen. You know, here's another one that just came up. This was actually on CPA trend lines. So this is this is coming into the accounting profession trade publications. The headline is wealthiest taxpayers cheat IRS out of four hundred billion dollars a year. And the IRS is looking the other way. Now, I don't blame the IRS for this because I think they are grossly underfunded and that we have allowed this to happen as citizens and and we need to we need to support them <laughs> there's only so much of this is can be blamed on mismanagement when you look at how much money they actually need to do their jobs i mean iris budget is like 12 billion dollars what is the budget of all of the top accounting firms put together right it's it's massive compared to that they, it's a david versus goliath thing and it's actually the irs that is the David compared to the accounting profession. So um, that may have worked out well for us for a while, but it's not sustainable. Like there has to be a, an even balance here. We need to bring balance to the force, David. That's what we need to do. We will see. You want to go into some lighter news about conferences? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, and that I'm really excited about because we're going to get back to seeing each other in person. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Odoo. I was checking out Odoo the other day, and sure, it has all the typical features you would expect in a highly customizable cloud ERP system, including dozens of built-in modules and thousands of third-party apps. But one of the built-in app modules really caught my eyes. It's a spreadsheet, but not any spreadsheet. It's a spreadsheet that is built directly into the accounting system. By using Odoo's built-in spreadsheet module, you can model and manipulate your data and it instantly stays up to date without any exports or integrations. It's crazy powerful. Imagine a sales rep updating a projected sale amount in a CRM module and having instantly reflected in your spreadsheet. The accounting and invoicing modules are always free, so there's no reason not to give Odoo and the spreadsheet module a try today. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Odoo. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-D-O-O. Unleash your growth potential with Odoo. starting to happen, but start uh, it's kicking off with some bad news, though. So ZeroCon has canceled their conferences in 2021 during in-person conferences. So they really thought they were going to do it, and now they've pulled that back, and they are not going to do a conference this year. No Zero Conference. What about QuickBooks? No Zero Con. Uh, QuickBooks, from what I've heard, is still going to be virtual. There's no plans for an in-person. But Sage, so, so Sage Intact has rebranded their conference, Sage Intact Advantage, to call it Sage Transform. And it looks like they're going to include more of the Sage products in one conference. So it's it's kind of, I know they used to do Sage World, which is that giant, humongous conference. So mm-hmm. it, it feels like this is going to be, um, and based on the name, I'm guessing it's going to be more of their forward-thinking cloud products. Yeah. Is essentially is what I what my guess would be. So you, and because they've made all those acquisitions, Cake HR and Auto Entry and mm-hmm. um, I forgot the other one, that task manager thing, the task sheriff last week, right? So I imagine it's going to be a more encompassing future forward thinking conference. But that one's in November in Vegas, uh, November eighth to the twelfth. So um, if you want to stay up to, to date, go to go to accountingconferences.com and they're all listed there, uh, staying up to date on these conferences. But it's a shame that I just, I feel like the industry like wants one of these big conferences to happen. Like, like we're pining to see each other in person. Yeah. And there's a good chance we, we might be at that one. We haven't locked it down yet, but we, we did broadcast from there last, last time. So I'm hoping we get to do it again. Anything else going on this, this year that we get to look forward to? Oh, I didn't have them in, in queue, but I mean, Scale New Heights is still planning to happen in October. Um, I'm also going to uh, bookkeepers.com has their conference in um, this summer, mid-June. So I'm going to attend that. And then what was the other one? Well, AICPA Engage is happening. That's, that's the, the other one. Yes. That's the soonest one. That one is going to be July 26th to 29th at the Aria in Vegas. I will be there. Are you going to go to that, David? I'm I'm kicking around. I'm a little confused because it feels like some of it's virtual, some of it's not. It's not fully hashed out yet. I think they're still trying to figure out the concept of that conference mm. that I'm trying to, but yes, I do plan on probably attending that as well. So we'll, we'll be around. Come see us this summer. Well, the, the one thing we didn't talk about in this episode that we teased is remote work, but yes. I don't want to give that short shrift. So how about we save that for next week? We'll talk. All right, fine. We'll talk remote work. No IRS funding next week. <laughs> Just remote no, work. None of the, no, no. Well, unless something happens with tax. Uh, but yeah, we'll avoid <laughs> unless, that. Unless, unless, they get, unless they get funded next week. Unless they get funded. Then we have to. Well, well, I just I saw something about how the um, administration released its budget 
I, you know, I, I don't know. I haven't looked at it yet, so I don't know how much is in there for the IRS, but um, maybe I'll bring that and that'll be my only story. Should we jump into app news then? We have app news this week? There's some. Do you have any? Well, I saw one story. I've got one story here. All right. About a Dallas accounting firm that has bought a provider of property tax data software. There's a firm in Dallas called Ryan, just Ryan. They are a tax and software services firm, and they have acquired PTX Tech. PTX provides a suite of products dealing in property tax data of tax jurisdictions across the U.S., Terms of the deal were not disclosed. So what PTX does, according to this story in accounting today, is extract, standardize, and incorporate assessment and tax bill data into a proprietary database to make it readily available and consumable for clients. So Ryan is going to use this software to offer a property tax service for their clients. There's a startup called Ramp, and they just... uh took another round of $115 million to bring their valuation up to $1.6 billion. And so Ramp's in that same uh, space. You have your divvies, you have your Rex, right? And they essentially, um, they said they got a third of its customers from American Express and uh, probably approximately 90, they brought over, these are enterprise level customers, they brought over from Concur or Expensify. So they specifically call out that they're taking customers from Expensify, which is interesting because Expensify was always the company that took the customers from Concur. The life cycle of startups is just accelerating. I mean, I remember when Expensify was a baby <laughs> and now and now they're losing clients to another startup. And Ramp, by the way, I don't even remember hearing about them. So here's a here's a here's a unicorn that just pops out of nowhere. I mean, that's just incredible. Maybe it's it's just a sign of how much venture capital money is floating around. They, they don't Listen, how many clients do they have? Their transaction volume's grown 400% in the past six months. It does not does it say in this article how it really doesn't say. It's just they've been, you know, they're picking up, uh-huh. you know, customers and they're considering themselves to be the fastest growing New York City startup right now. They, 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 they're, they're putting a stake in the, the ground on that claim. So the, I think the model, and this is why like the Brexes and Divvies and Ramps are going so fast, is there's no fees because they, they set up their, their, they make money on the interchange fees. Right. So there's no, uh, and then they only charge a monthly charge for the super high end functionalities of their app. So the, to onboard clients, it's a lot faster mm-hmm. versus, and not, and, and Expensify's model, which I always thought was great, which is just reach the employees. And then the second the accounting department wants to be involved and have these automatically fill in their accounting systems, then you charge the, the charge the business for that. But it's, it's interesting just to watch how these companies have, you know, move down this path. But at the same time, they said more than 90. So they're talking about like 90 enterprises. Right. It's yeah. stolen from Concur and Expensify. Now, how many enterprises does Concur and Expensify have? Like, like is 90 even, do they even notice that that's happened yet? <laughs> and then the other one that has caught my eye was a Blue Dot. They have Blue Dot's AI helps you manage, comply with tax accounting and codes. They just raised $31 million. And one article that was in uh, Tech Times was not very good. I was trying to understand like what it did. And it's, it says like, Blue Dot's new AI application is specifically designed to help various businesses and companies with their tax liabilities. What? Like It didn't make any sense. I was like, all right, I got to find a second article or find more about them. And so, I mean, because obviously these AI companies, we see this all the time. And it's actually pretty kind of interesting what they do. Um, they came through uh, the European tax system. So it used to be a product called VAT box for uh, the VAT taxes. But what they do is instead of it being like algorithms doing the work, all it is, it really monitors the existing stuff and then raises up potential issues. 
in your tax policies, especially if you're a global business of things where like uh, it raises up potential problems. It raises up problems you actually have across the board, across all your transactions. So it's really, it's, it's constantly analyzing and it's less about it doing things, which I think actually, if you think about, you know, AI, that's where AI could be a very good fit for everybody. Right. Right. It's It's like, here's the anomalies. We don't know what to do with it because we're just dumb. We're we're not that good of AI. It's almost impossible for us to actually handle the anomalies. Mm -hmm. But if I can service the anomalies to you, now you can come in and put your human judgment on top of this. Yeah. It's like tax recovery is a big business for large corporations because it's hard to know what's going on all over the world. Send an AI in to look at all your transactions, monitor the data, and then it can say, hey, here's unclaimed tax returns, avoidable costs. And at that scale, the software definitely can pay for itself. So I think you're right. I think that's a really good use of AI. That's it for app news for me. But I, one, one, one article I have is not app news, but it kind of ties to us talking about expense reports, if I could get your take. Yeah, let's hear it. I don't have anything else. So there's an article on Yahoo. Um, yes, I, I still get news from <laughs> yahoo.com. <laughs> They're still around? Yeah, it yeah. Still, still bubbles in here. Um, and it's about how per diem payments can simplify your accounting and taxes. So per diem is when instead of you submitting all of your individual expenses, I just give you a flat amount per day and say, you go spend on whatever you want, right? I don't care. Yeah. And then there's no, like the, there's no record keeping. So now I'm traveling on my business and I don't have to keep track of all the receipts and fill out an expense report when I get back from my business trip. And then the other piece of this that is a huge benefit is I'm going to be more frugal with the money. Yeah, because I get to keep what's left over. Exactly, right? I'm going to not waste companies' money on extra frivolous things along the way. Um, and then the other benefit is you as a company is now you have your employees not wasting time on expense reports. Yep. That's a big right? thing. Which is just, everybody has to do them, but it's always just a headache. Even if you have the greatest, coolest apps, it's still a headache to take a photo of a receipt, put them with the expenses for, oh, if it's a, if it's a meal, you got to put all the people in for the meal. Um, and then depending on the app, I know when I was in Intuit, we were using um, Concur actually. Mm-hmm. And I'd have to put like everybody's like first and true legal last name and like their phone oh, God, number. Yeah. I was like, I don't have the, yeah, it's funny. I actually talked to uh, uh, somebody who uh, was at another company, was not at Intuit. And he's like, do you realize you put on every meal expense report for a year with me? I'm like, okay. Like, <laughs> you just put me on every meal meal expense report to, to get it through. Um, That's funny. And then it, it also, you know, helps with the travel spending, right? In general. Because now you're here, it forces them to not buy a last minute airplane ticket. It forces them to plan a little bit, you know, yeah. you control of that. So I guess my question is on like, where's your take on this with clients and in workflows? Is it better just to do pure DM? And, and the funny thing is there's all these companies do expense tracking apps. How come nobody's building a team per DM app? Is it because expense reports are painful? So people try to solve that and then per DMs are easy. So if you're in a per DM situation, why would you ever say like, I'm going to solve this problem because it's based on this article. It seems like it's more pleasant. It is, but you can't use per diem for everything. So that's the problem. It's nice when expense reporting apps make a per diem option. And we should definitely consider using that and emphasizing that as, as accountants. Our weakness is that we often don't because we get too wrapped up in the details. And so we want to see every $8 coffee receipt or, or whatever, but we got to let that go because it's just not worth it. You know, I'm of the philosophy that if it's under X dollars, if it's under 10 bucks, don't require a receipt. Do not require the employee to do anything because it's not worth anyone's time to review that receipt. Like it would cost you more, 
to have an accountant look at that and deal with it than to just automatically pay it. And that's what per diems kind of like do, I guess, uh, you know, formally. So, so when you say per diems can be used for everything, so pretty sure it has to be used for travel. It can't be used for everything. It can, yes, meals. it's mostly but business travel. With people working at home remotely, you just can't kick them. Oh, I know you're going to buy some hardware at your house. And I know you're going to have internet. I'm just going to give you a per diem of $300 a month for your IT spend. Like you, maybe you, that's not allowed? No, I think you could do that. That's fine. That. Okay. Um, I think you could. But the, the question is whether or not that's going to be income to the employee, right? But you certainly could like just pay them more and say, you handle all your own expenses for that. That's one option. This article talks about how, you know, from the employee's benefit, it is tax-free income. Because if you don't spend that, you right. just keep it. It is tax-free. Um, I think it depends if it's qualified or not. I, I'd have to go. Brush up. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I mean, you got to dig into the IRS code right there, you know, <laughs> and guidance. Um, but for me, it's more about just don't, don't nickel and dime your own employees. Like if you trust somebody enough to work at your company and represent your company to your customers, do you really want to be questioning them on every little expense and treating them like a criminal? Is that the really the right way to do it? Is that how you want to have that relationship with your employee? And, and the thing to do is just say, look, okay, sometimes maybe my employees are going to spend a meal that's really not, maybe that's not really a business meal, but who cares in the end, right? Is it is it material? Does it actually make a difference to the business? That's what you got to look at. And it's the same thing when you're doing bank reconciliations, right? Uh, and at this point, the odds of that receipt or that meal or that coffee getting audited by the IRS at this point is zero to none. So. Oh, God, yes. I mean, well, and that's the thing. Like, IRS isn't even going to look at anything under 75 bucks. So there you go. That's important. So I just thought I thought per diem feels like it's the the long lost uh, cousin of the expense report that nobody ever actually talks about because it's it's all these expense report apps taking hundred million dollar investments, right? So it just this would be great. Maybe our listeners can call us, and I'd, I'd love to hear a couple of stories. Like, are you using per diem with your clients? Like, are, do you use that in your own firm? Like, have you eliminated expense expense reports entirely for clients? Like, what, what their take is. And while you're at it, let us know what you think about IRS funding levels, service levels, about what. Organizations like the AICPA should be telling Congress. Our voicemail number is 202-695-1040. That's 202-695-1040. Give us a call right now. If you're on the road on your commute, dial us up. It goes straight to voicemail. It's a voicemail box, gives you about two minutes to tell us what you think. So, you know, keep it short. We will listen. I promise you we will listen and we will very likely play it on the air. Uh, unless you cuss us out or something. Yeah, I mean, or if you're just really busy this week <laughs> and it's a crazy week, you need to vent, just call and scream into the line. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Tell Maybe express in a scream how you feel about the IRS. Um, I had an article last week. Somebody pulled a gun on their clients. That Yeah. That was a, a preparer who was just lost it. Was that in Texas? Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, David, so, so don't do that. Don't pull a gun on your clients. Call our voicemail and just scream into the line and that'll, that'll be good enough. There you go. Get it out of your system. David, it's been a pleasure as always. If people want to get in touch with you online, where should they do that? I'm just at David Leary. And I think we got feedback about spelling our names. So it's not Leary like L-E-E. It's L-E-A-R-Y. You should be able to find me pretty easily. And I am at Blake T. Oliver. That's T as in taxes. and I'm not going to spell my name because I feel like everyone knows how to spell Blake Oliver. That's the benefit of having a a name with uh, a few movies, Oliver and Company, Oliver Twist, 
Man, they made fun of me a lot as a kid. <laughs> Blake Oliver. <laughs> On that note, that drove you into accounting. <laughs> that's, that's right. Talk to you later, David. Bye. 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 Time for the classifieds. Are you an accountant or bookkeeper who wants to get the most out of Zero? Zero, a comprehensive guide for accountants and bookkeepers is available now. Author Amanda Aguilar shares eight years of experience using Zero in her own practice to connect the dots between accounting theory and software. See why Zero founder Roger Rui calls her a proven expert in getting the most out of the Zero platform and ecosystem. Buy it now on Amazon or through your local bookseller. With new tech coming out from around the world each day, how do you filter out the noise and find the best tech for your firm? Launch for Accountants is a tech discovery platform made for accounting firm owners. Here are just a few of the most popular launches from the month of January. A web-based tool for building narratives around your 10 key tapes, a PPP forgiveness utility, and a financial modeling platform that integrates with your entire cloud stack. To learn more, sign up for the weekly newsletter at launchfa.com. Have you ever joined a mastermind group with other accounting professionals? The Realize Accountant community is organizing mastermind groups for accountants, with groups kicking off this May. Whether you're a firm owner, a staff accountant, at a small firm, or a big four, Realize is matchmaking pros offering similar services and like-sized firms. You'll spend six months in a group of five going deep on issue specifics to you and your firm. Signups close April 30th. Learn more at rlz.io. That's rlz.io. I quickly wanted to let you know about a new project that I've been working on for the last year or so. I'm launching a podcast network called Accounting Podcast Network. It has new podcasts that I know you'll love, like the Accounting Salon Conversations podcast hosted by Amanda Aguilar and the Accounting Automation Workflows podcast co-hosted by Brian Clare and Heather Satterley. Head over to accountingpodcastnetwork.com. That's accountingpodcastnetwork.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info. Hey.